for another podcast and another opportunity to hear from you. We are so thankful for the Holy Spirit today, who is the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is with every single listener, dwelling inside of them, God, the spirit of truth. And he is busy leading and guiding every listener into the full truth, the full truth about who they are, who they are in Christ, who they are in the church and in the body of Christ, Father, who they are to the world, the gift that they are, Father, to humanity and to the planet, that there is only one of them, that they are a unique expression of your goodness and your glory, and that they are engineered by you for a purpose. They were designed by an intelligence that is beyond our ability to comprehend without the Holy Spirit. And that intelligence didn't make any mistakes. The mind of God dreamed us up. We are the manifestation of your dream, Father. We are your dream in the flesh. We are your temple. We are your habitation. We are your dwelling place. And we thank you that you are absolutely enlightening our eyes today, Holy Spirit. You are showing us the hope of our calling. You are giving us a revelation of our calling, our calling to be sons, our calling to be those that govern the earth, (laughs) our calling to be kings and priests who live in union with you, not independent from you, God, but completely one with you. Thank you that you are truly blurring the lines of separation in our hearts and in, in the way that we view ourselves, God. You are, you are giving us a revelation of the mystery that Paul talked about in Colossians when he said that Christ in you is the hope of glory. You are unveiling Christ in us, God. You are unveiling the potential of glory in us, God, even through these podcasts. And I, I'm just blessing every, every listener, Father, before we even get started. Thank you for the people that you're connecting to this podcast from all over the world. And I just bless them, God. I bless every listener with ears to hear your voice, with eyes to see beyond the physical realm, Lord, to see themselves as they are truly in Christ, seated in heavenly places, to see other people as expressions of your goodness and your glory, God, to see Jesus in every person that they encounter, God, whether that person knows it or not. Father, we just thank you that you truly are changing our perceptions in this hour. And and I just bless every listener with a new perspective a new perception, a new thought, a new idea, Father, a transformative thought, a transformative idea, Lord, that renews their minds and changes their reality as a result 
of this new thought. I just, I, I'm just thinking of that movie Inception right now, even as I'm praying God, and I just release an inception <laughs> into every single person. I, I just declare, Holy Spirit, you're planting an idea into the subconscious minds of the listeners while they listen, listen today, God. You are, you are causing them to conceive <laughs> their own identity, to conceive the glory that you've placed inside of them. And I just bless you, Father, for all that you're going to do through this podcast in Jesus' name. Well, just a little bit of a recap. The last two podcasts have been, in my opinion, a little revolutionary for people that, I don't know, especially if you grew up in church and you've been programmed by a traditional Western evangelical gospel. And you've been exposed to you know, really coming at your identity from a sin-based origin. Uh, I did a podcast called Original Glory. Then I followed it up with a podcast uh, that was called Whole Story. And I just feel the, the presence of God on just kind of continuing this concept today about renewing your mind to your origin and helping you reframe who you are. You know, the origin of a thing or the source of a thing is really, really important. Uh, and a lot of times, because we, we, you know, we live in, in the world, we live, in, uh, you know, under a world system, we are programmed by the pattern of this world. And when I say, you know, the world system and the pattern of this world, I'm really talking about all of the systems that we are that educate us over the course of our lives, you know, whether that be the healthcare system or whether that be the, you know, the educational system or the economic system, or even, like I said, growing up in church, a religious system, you know, all of those systems (laughs) are really about indoctrinating us, if you will, indoctrinating us with this pattern or this model or this paradigm, if you will, of how the world functions and how reality works, if you will. And if we are going to experience the fullness of the, the finished work that Jesus accomplished on the cross for all of humanity, the undoing of Adam, if you will, the undoing of the fall that Christ completed at Calvary. If we're going to experience that undoing, then we have to become aware, number one, that there is a pattern of this world, that there is a paradigm, there is a way that we have been programmed by the systems of this world to perceive not only reality, but to perceive ourselves and to perceive, to form opinions and paradigms around how the world works. And Jesus really came as a revolutionary. He came to be the expression of God himself. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And It was so offensive to the world system. And by that, I mean 
the religious system, really. It was so, you know, <laughs> completely different than the paradigm that people were under in his day. His thoughts were so revolutionary and honestly so dangerous that they got him crucified. And so I just want to start out today by throwing out this idea that the gospel is meant to be a revolution. It is meant to... I like the way it says in Acts that, you know, they turn the world upside down, meaning it is a revolution against the world system. It is a revolution against the pattern of this world, the way of thinking that was inherited from Adam. And I want to start today, there's so many different places we could start, but I want to start just by the idea, I want to introduce the idea that even though Genesis is the beginning of the Bible and the word Genesis <laughs> implies the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of something, right? Um, it is not actually the beginning. It's not actually the beginning, even though it's called Genesis. And I want to start not in Genesis, but I want to start in the actual place where it all began. And I'll do that by first of all going to Ephesians chapter 1. It's a place that I've preached out, preached out of before. But I'm going to go here because this, the scripture is truly, to me, it's, it's a revolutionary thought. It's a revolutionary idea. And there's so much revolutionary ideas in this whole chapter, but I want to start in verse 4. Okay, in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1, in the Passion Translation, it says this, And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes, with an unstained innocence. Verse 5, for it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan gives him great pleasure. So I'm going to go up here again to verse 4, and it says that it chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. So I want to highlight this concept of before the foundation of the universe. So if you go to the book of Genesis, it's going to start with in the beginning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's going to, it's going to give you, I'm just going to go there really quick so that we can just kind of reminds me of like that scene in Star Wars, right? Where, 
you know, it's just the universe and the thing is scrolling, the, the words are scrolling on the screen that kind of give you the backstory <laughs> that you're coming into the movie with. Well, supposedly, this is Genesis, right? It says, in the beginning, I'm looking in the amplified version of Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created by forming from nothing the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was formless and void or a waste and emptiness and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It says the spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So Genesis here talks about the creation of the universe, the creation of the world. But yet that verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 4 says that before the foundations of the universe were laid, we were chosen in him. So this is a revolutionary thought. Because what this says to us is that our origin was always in God. That we were chosen in him in the mind of God. We were God's idea and the union that we would have with Jesus in Christ was in his mind before creation began. You may say, Shalise, well, why is that such a big point? Because most of us grew up in church being taught about the fall, but we didn't hear anything about this original glory, this idea that we were in God before we were in Adam, that we were in Christ prior to being in Adam. And we hear about the fall kind of as this, this reason almost to even accept Christ. It's like, you know, we pre, we're, we're, we're taught that, you know, all have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, and so therefore we are all sinners in need of a savior. But even that concept that we've fallen short of the glory of God is taken out of context. Because if I go into the, the, the scripture that says that, okay, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, let me just go into that. That's in Romans 3.23. Let me just go to Romans 3. We're going to go around Romans 3.23, but let me get there. You know, this concept, I mean, I don't know how many of you have heard this, right? It's like almost like you learn how to witness to others. And this is like the, the foundation scripture of how you go out and, you know, do witnessing. Is you want to let everybody know they're a sinner in need of a savior, right? That's the way that we present, we're presented the gospel. It's the way we believe the gospel. But if you read this in context, if I go back to verse 21 and read it in context, and I'll read it, I was at the Amplify, but I'm going to read it in the, the passion, just because it makes it super clear. If I go back to Romans 3.21 and I start reading, it says, But now, independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that scripture prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. There is really no difference between us. In verse 23, for we have all sinned and are in need of the glory of God, yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because of Jesus, the anointed one. The anointed one has liberated us from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. And so what I'm saying is, even though we've heard this preached, it's like, you know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we don't hear the part about the fact that, but we're acquitted. 
Verse 24, right after that says, yes, we've fallen short, but we're also acquitted, meaning we're not guilty. I mean, I actually got in a conversation with someone over Facebook this week who wanted to argue this concept that not everybody, that God, you know, God, the wrath of God is being poured out on sinners. And, you know, as I got into the conversation, I it, it was news to this person that the cross actually satisfied all anything that, that God had with sin. And not only that, but that he viewed every person on the planet as acquitted, as not guilty. Not just those that believed, but the whole entire human race. And I will tell you, if you grew up in the Western church, this is not what you were taught. Okay, You were taught that the church is acquitted. Maybe, maybe you would even teach that. Maybe, maybe if you grew up in certain denominations, you would, you would learn that it's a conditional acquittal based upon your personal repentance. So as long as you were, you know, constantly asking for forgiveness of your sins, then you could have this acquitted non-guilty verdict. Like that was, that was a lot of things that people were taught. But the reality of it is that is not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that the cross was Jesus' sacrifice once and for all, for all of mankind. And in Romans chapter 5, there's an incredible discourse that, that those scriptures talk about, about how in Adam, sin entered into the world and, all, and death upon all men. And in the same way, righteousness entered into the world through one man named Jesus. And I want to talk to you about kind of what does the justice of God really look like? Does it look like the punishment of sinners? Or does it look like the acquittal of the innocent? And the reason that's an important point, even just logically, it doesn't make sense. I don't know about you, but I was not in the garden. I was not there with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. I did not talk to the serpent. I did not make a decision to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I did not, I was not involved in that decision at all. In fact, I inherited the consequences of, of the world, what happened as a result of what Adam did. I inherited that. I was born all these generations after that, as you were. So if you didn't choose to fall short of the glory of God, if you didn't choose to so-called have this sin nature, doesn't it make sense that you wouldn't also have a say in the undoing of that? That it wouldn't be up to your choice? If you were made a quote-unquote sinner, not by your choice, wouldn't it make sense that only it would be just if you were made righteous, not by your choice? I really do encourage you to go grapple with Romans 5. I, I bet I studied Romans 5 huh, for a good six months because I just was like, what is going on here? Because it's like this compare and contrast between Adam and, and Jesus. And why am I going here? I, I'm going here because we have not been taught the gospel aright. And it has messed with our head to such a degree 
that we cannot even think about ourselves almost without thinking about what is wrong with us. We have been so programmed with sin consciousness and we are so identified with Adam in the way that we, the pattern of this world and the way that we've been taught and performance and good and evil and all of these judgments and all the things that are wrapped up in that, that we are living, I don't know how to say it except out of a, a completely wrong mindset. The truth of the matter is you were acquitted by the cross. Every human being on the earth from God's perspective is not guilty. They are not guilty. Now that doesn't mean they're enjoying that acquittal. In fact, most of the church isn't even enjoying the acquittal. Why? Because we haven't believed in the acquittal. We have, we haven't believed that we have an origin outside of Adam. That we have believed there is something wrong with us. We have been programmed to believe that. And the truth of the matter is, if you want to get the truth of who you are into you, outside of looking at what is wrong with you, you have to go back to the beginning where you were chosen, holy, blameless, and and from God's perspective, in union with him because of what Jesus has done from before time was even created. There is an original you, a concept of you, that you need to be exposed to. And this original you is innocent. It's an innocent you. That's why in Ephesians 4, I love the Passion Translation because it says, I love that phrase, unstained innocence. Let's go back and just read that one more time back in Ephesians. That you were... Oh, I love this. And I'm going to go to a few other places that kind of make this point. But in Ephesians 1, let me go back to verse 4. It says, the very end of that verse, it says, because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. I want you just to let that phrase wash over you when I say this for a moment. You are innocent. And I want you to just hear your thoughts, the thoughts that pop into your head when I say that statement. You are innocent. You are innocent. I'm going to say it again. You are innocent. If, if you're like most of us, immediately there's a voice inside your head that begins to argue with that. And almost like starts to, to bring up all of the reasons that you are not innocent. It's like, it's, it's this concept of like, you know, it's, it's like Santa Claus or something, right? You know, 
making a list and checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. There's like this accusing voice or this voice inside of your head that starts to remind you of all the reasons that you are not innocent. Well, remember this time you did that. Remember this time you did that. Heck, you had a, you know, a negative thought this morning or you had a, you know, just a constant barrage in our minds even that oppose the gospel, that, that oppose the truth of the scripture. And, and, and I'm not going to go into all of the reasons why that voice is doing that. But I, I am going to point out that that voice exists. And that voice is shaping not only your relationship with yourself, but it's, it's shaping the way that you see everybody else on the planet. Because the reality of it is, you're not the only innocent one. Guess who else is innocent? Everybody else. Well, Shalise, what about the people that have never heard the gospel? Or what about the people that, you know, have rejected Jesus? What about the atheists and the agnostics and all these people, Shalise? Are they innocent too? And my answer is very clear. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason that most of those people are unbelievers, if we're just honest, either they haven't heard it because we haven't told them, or they've heard it so messed up and distorted that they have rejected it. Because who really wants to be in a relationship with a God like that? Or who really wants to be, it's not good news the way it's preached a lot of the times. I mean, what if we went around, I, I've said this before and I think about this often, but what if you had grown up in a world or what if everybody on the planet had grown up in a world where they were just told from the moment they opened their eyes as a baby, from the moment they were conceived in their mother's womb, that there was nothing wrong with them, that they were perfect, that there was nothing wrong with them? How would have that affected your life? It's dramatic. But that is exactly what Ephesians 1-4 is saying, is that there is nothing wrong with you. And it is a, it is a paradox in a sense that I know it kind of blows the circuitry in our mind because we live with ourselves. And so we see every day how we, you know, are falling short of the glory of God. And we form a relationship with ourselves based upon the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we have this relationship with right and wrong rather than a relationship with God. And when we have a relationship with right and wrong versus a relationship with God, we will absolutely see ourselves wrong and we will see humanity wrong. But when we have a relationship with God, we will see ourselves right and we will see everybody else right. Why do you, why do I feel like the Lord is bringing this up? It's because our self-definition has got to change. Love 
defines us. God's unconditional, perfect love is what defines us. He is the source of your definition. And because he has given us free will, we have the choice of will we agree with his definition of us, with love's definition of us, or will we agree with our own independent judgment of ourselves? Will we agree with, I don't know, other people's opinions about us? I mean, who is really going to define us? See, ultimately, our agreement to to allow God to be the source of our definition will determine whether or not we ever become ourselves and whether we are able to experience not only God's love, but peace, peace within ourselves. And until we really do have that peace with ourselves, then we will have a wrong relationship, not only with everybody else, but with everything else in the world. Why? Because we will use external things to define us. I'm going to go back and read this again because it's such an important identity scripture. And he chose, I'm going to say it like I'm speaking to you. And he chose you to be his very own, joining you to himself, even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love for you, he ordained you so that you would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always his perfect plan to adopt you as his delightful child. Through your union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over you would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved Jesus, he has for you. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Now, I want you to just kind of close your eyes and imagine with me. I want you to meditate on this scripture with me, even on this podcast. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit even now to give you a mental image, an imagination of this truth. That before time began, before time was created, before the universe was spoken into existence, he chose you. He chose you to be in union with Jesus. 
In other words, he chose you, the Father chose you to be in union with himself. The Father and Jesus are one. The Holy Spirit is one. And you are one. You were chosen to be one with Jesus Christ. This union with God was his idea for you when he thought of you. He knew you and he chose you. Long before the fall, long before time began. And so let me just say it this way. You are eternally chosen. You are eternally secure. You are eternally safe. You are eternally holy. You are eternally blameless. Your origin in him is the beginning of your definition. The definition of who you are begins here. Not in the garden, not at your birth, not even at your conversion or your salvation experience. It's here. It began here. And I'm going to go to one other place. I've been teaching out of these same scriptures, but I want to go to Ephesians 2.10 here. Because in Ephesians 2.10, it describes a little bit more about what he was thinking here in this place where you were created. So just stay there in that place if you can. And I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible. Ephesians 2.10 says this, and I'm going to read it in first person. It says, for you, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to read it like it's for you specifically. For you are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, born from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for you beforehand, before time. Okay, I'm going to read it in another translation. I'm going to read it in the Passion now, just to get you another feel for this. That It wasn't just about him placing you in Christ and choosing you and giving, you know, seeing you blameless with an unstained innocence. It was also the truth that he had a destiny for you. He had good works that he planned for you all before time began. Verse 10 says, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. Now let me read it like it's just about you because it is about you. You have become his poetry, recreated, a recreated person that will fulfill the destiny he has given you. For you are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before you were born, God planned in advance your destiny and the good works that you would do to fulfill it. I mean, I know I read this in the last podcast, but I really am wanting this point. I feel the Holy Spirit is wanting this point to 
to hit home because I, I think it is time, it's time for you to redefine yourself. You know, you know, people think about this in, you know, the entertainment industry a lot. Like, you know, they're always doing a makeover. They're always, you know, reinventing themselves, reinventing themselves. Well, the point is you have been reinvented in Christ. And it's time for you to redefine your self-concept and recognize that it begins with your union with God. And your union with God has changed everything about you. You are not innocent because you've done everything perfect. You're not innocent because you've never sinned. You're not innocent based upon that. You're innocent based upon his choice. His choice. His choice. You know, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. His choice is why you are innocent. His choice to make you live in union with him. His choice to blur the lines between himself and you is why you are innocent. Your innocence is because of Jesus. Jesus is your innocence. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your sanctification. He's your wisdom, it says in scripture. He is, you know, your innocence is a person. Your innocence exists because you live and move and have your being inside of a person named Jesus. Your reality is a, is a person named Jesus. And, you know, when Paul said that scripture in Acts, you know, you live and even have your being in God, he wasn't talking to believers. He was talking to pagans. He said, we are all God's offspring. For we all live and move and have our being inside of God. You do not exist except in your own mind outside of God. I'm going to say that again. You do not exist except in your own mind apart from God. And every negative thought that you have about yourself. Remember earlier when I said you are innocent, you are innocent. And I said, listen to those thoughts coming into your mind. All of those thoughts are coming from a self-concept that is separate from God. And you have been fused into God. It's like fusion. (laughs) It's like a new creation formed out of something that was old. And what was old was crucified, was put to death on the cross. And what was new was recreated in Christ as the resurrection of Christ occurred. I mean, the resurrection of Christ was the rebirth of humanity. And the good news is simply telling people, announcing, you've been born again. That you have been crucified with Christ. That your origin is in God. He chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and acceptable. And, and to be seen as innocent. God sees you innocent. You're not, you're not guilty. Jesus Christ has finished your relationship. 
He severed your relationship with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He severed your relationship with sin, with, with, with a relationship with right and wrong. And you're now in him. You're right because of him. And you live and move and have your being inside of him. And he has a destiny for you. He has a plan for you. He thought you up. And he has a destiny that is just perfect for you. There's good works. There's things that he planned for you to do. With him, as him, in union with him. And as you grasp your origin and you redefine yourself, there is a new identity that he wants you to live out of. It's a supernatural divine identity. You are a partaker of his divine nature. And Jesus Christ now defines what is possible. And when you read the Gospels, this isn't just a message about a man. It's a message about living in union with God and what that looks like when that happens. When you live in union with the Father, what becomes possible? And so it's a reframing of your entire existence. It's a reframing of everything that you have conceived to be a part of who you are and and the question of why you're on this planet. Jesus is where the definition of you begins. And the source of that definition, God, is unchangeable. Who you are doesn't change because of what you experience. What changes is your opinion of who you are. The things that you've experienced over the course of your life have caused you to believe that you're someone you're not. And it's time to rise above that definition, recognize what you're giving power to. When abuse defines you, abuse becomes your God. When rejection defines you, rejection becomes your God. When failure defines you, failure becomes your God. When success defines you, success becomes your God. When the opposite sex's opinion of you or same sex opinion of you defines you, whatever defines you is your God. If you define you, then you're your God. The source of your definition is your God. And, beloved, the cross defines you. God's opinion defines you. And he is not changing his mind. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the one leading and guiding you into the truth about God's opinion. He's the one that is, when it says the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness, it means that he is, instead of being convicted of, you know, you're guilty, he's convicting you that you're not guilty. You're, you're being convicted of being innocent. You are guilty of being innocent. 
You are guilty of being blameless. You are guilty of being inside of Christ. You are guilty of being chosen. And so I just want to leave you with this as we wrap up today. It is really easy to let other things besides God define you. We have been programmed, really, to look for that stuff externally. To, to look at it, look, you know, for other people's approval before we give approval to ourselves. And to, you know, look at behavior and performance and all of these things out there to really determine our worth. And God is the only one who has the authority. He is the only self-existent one. He is a source in and of himself. And as such, he is the source of everything else. And so he is the only one that has the authority and the capability to define worth and to define his creation. He's the creator. If he's the creator, well, then he knows the purpose of his creation. If he's the creator, he knows how he designed it. He designed it. You know, that's why there's that famous scripture. It's like, well, the, you know, the pot say to the potter, <laughs> you did this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the creation cannot inform the creator. And the creation cannot inform the rest of creation because it's just a creation. We have to go to the source. I mean, I think this is probably one of the main reasons that the Father had me create Emerge, if I'm honest is because it is a three-month-long conversation with Mr. Creator. And it gives the Creator, it gives God himself the opportunity to redefine really the most important things that need to be defined in our life. You know, the first question that you, you talk with God about is, who is God? Well, God, guess what? God gets to define himself. I know that people have all kinds of opinions about God, but guess what? God's not changing based on people's opinions. He says, I am who I am. I am who I am. In other words, I am who I say I am, not who you say I am. You know what? Moses, go tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. I am. He is I am. This is who I am. I am. I am who I am. He is not changing who he is based on anybody's opinion. He is self-defining himself. The second question, who am I? Well, guess what? God also gets to define you. Now, sadly, a lot of people resist that. They resist that their whole lives and go to the grave never actually seeing themselves, even though they woke up every day and probably looked in the mirror. They never see themselves. And in fact, they ha sometimes they, I think they have to die to see themselves. 
You know, why am I here? I mean, all of these questions that we take the time to go before the Lord and detox from a lot of the stuff that we've been taught, a lot of the, the things that religion has taught us, our life experiences has taught us, is so that we can get it from straight from the horse's mouth. You are the potter, I am the clay. What are you what have you made me into? What what was your what was what did you have in your mind when you chose me? When you made me into your poetry, when you made me your your masterpiece, what what were you what did you have in mind? You know, when we really get this, you know, the standards that we look at externally are so shallow. True success in life, and this is something that I have been sitting with God for a very long time with. But true success in life, let me say this, you guys, is manifesting you. It is, you know, it is finishing the work that God created you to do. And guess what? It means you are you. Jesus was Jesus. In John 17, 3 or 4, I can't remember which one it was, he said, I finished, I've glorified you here on earth. I finished the work you gave me to do. I glorified you on earth. (laughs) How? Because those that saw me saw you. You are a reflection of God's mind, of God's idea, of God's dream, of his poetry. You are his work of art. Meant to glorify him. When you look at a sculpture, you look at a painting, or you look at, read a a poem, I mean, the creator of that is glorified. And so let me pray here today. Father, I just thank you that I know I've wrestled kind of even on a surface level with some, some ideas that we have heard for a lot of us our whole lives. And I'm attempting here to represent even just the origin of man, Father, you know, beyond what we have been taught in church. And grappling with this concept that we are chosen, that we are holy, that we are innocent, that we are blameless because we are in union with you and that we've been chosen to be in union with you since before time began is not something you just, you know, you hear one time and then you're just like, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. No, it's something that you have to really reveal to each of us, Holy Spirit. And so I'm just praying that you would make this a personal message for every listener. By your grace, that you would get out your eraser. That's what I just see, Holy Spirit, that you would get out your eraser and you would begin to erase wrong definitions that society has taught people to believe about themselves. That you would begin to erase wrong definitions that abuse and neglect and rejection have taught people about themselves. That you would begin to erase things that religion has taught people about themselves, things that media and, you know, university and just the world's way of 
promoting and just being, Lord. I just pray that you would just begin to erase all of those constructs in people's minds. And that, God, you would begin to write in indelible ink and tattoo, in fact, brand their hearts, God, with your definition of them. That every label that they have put on themselves, God, that is not was not in your mind, that is not in your heart, that was crucified with Christ, Father, that it would truly die in their minds, that it would cease to exist, that you would purge their conscience from every dead work, from every self-construct that did not originate in your heart and in your mind for them, that they would be free, Father, to be the individual expression of your glory and your work of art as they are meant to be, a one of a kind, one of a kind, God. I just declare every person is, has, is free to be the one of a kind human being who lives in union with God that you created them to be. Father, I pray that you would sever their ties to this world in a way that makes them free. Father, they would be in the world, but not of the world. That they would be free to express who you've created them to be, to say what they were created to say, to to create what they were created to create, Father to do the work that they were created to do, Father, that to be in the relationships they were created to be in, Father. Just I just release just the pressures, Father, that they have been under, the pressure to conform. That's it. I thank you, God, that that pressure to conform to a false identity is being completely eradicated from their lives. And I thank you, God, that, that they, are, they are in a, a place of it feels almost like a vacuum, just just totally pressureless place, Father, where they are able to discover who you created them to be. And they are free in that place, Father, with you to be that person. So whatever is necessary in this place, Lord, I just release that for every person. And I thank you that you are raising sons and daughters from all over the planet, Father. That these are manifestations, true manifestations of of sons of God rising up all over the planet. And I thank you that all of creation is rejoicing. And we just applaud the work that you're doing, Holy Spirit. You are an expert craftsman at manifesting the truth. And so we give you praise. We give you honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, you guys, thanks for listening. And if this podcast and connecting to these podcasts are are blessing you, if they are speaking to your heart and God is using those to minister to you, I really encourage you to head on over to Shalise.com, partner uh, with us, uh, give, support the podcast. Uh, it is a blessing. Every single donation that comes in enables us to get the word out to more and more people and tell your friends about the podcast, send it to your friends and support us online. 
And then uh, I also get emails from you guys every single week uh, because you're interested in Emerge. Emerge is our online school that we have. It's um, a school of transformation. I, I kind of jokingly say it's a school of transfiguration where we are leading people into discovering who God has created them to be and launching them into their purpose through intimate encounters with God. And if you would like to know more about that program and how to work with me and how to be a part of the school, then send us an email at info at and we will get you connected with the team and we can answer all your questions and we can pray with you and help you determine if that is something that God is calling you into. Well, God bless you. Have an amazing week and we will see you soon here in podcast land. All righty. God bless.